Welcome to the Full Potential Podcast. I am your host, Nick Wagner Sr. And every week, I interview guests that share career stories, ideas, and experiences to empower and inspire people to reach their full potential. If you enjoy the episode, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. Thanks for listening. So Michael Goldberg is, uh, you know, you are, uh, you. I think the way I would describe you, Michael, is you try to help people find, you know, a great job for them, right? Or or help companies find great people is kind of the way I would describe you based off of what you do. And I think that's, uh, you're an entrepreneur, um, but I think you have a passion for people. And I think you do a lot of things, uh, you know, it, you've done a lot of things in your career that I think show that, which we're going to dive into tonight. But I always like to start with my, my, my opening question is when you meet someone for the first time and, and you know, you're introducing yourself and they ask, you know, who is Michael? How, how do you typically introduce yourself to individuals? I like to introduce myself as, as a person who really is passionate about what he does. And, and to me, I want to make any person I come into contact with, whether it's a candidate, a client, um, you know, someone just needing my assistance, uh, you know, for, for whatever the need is to make sure that they're the most important person and taking care of them. Uh, I've been told by others that I'm a giver, uh, in the sense that I will do what I need to do to take time to talk with people. Um, and I don't know if it's my magnetic personality or just my, my I love to learn about people and what they do, uh, and how they do things. So, you know, when they when they come to me it's 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 normally that there's there's an issue so in most cases uh so while i do i do perform a lot of recruiting services the focus of hiring transformed which is the name of my business is really to help companies be better at recruiting because at the crux of it there, you know and you and i have talked about this there's just too much not so many good things going on recruiting in HR, and I, I want to see that improve. And I think twenty twenty one is the year to to definitely do it. Yeah, and and I think you know back to you know, and I love I, I love what you say on your on your LinkedIn, right? So turning recruiting teams into superheroes, and I love the use of the word the term superhero because I think that I think that it's just a very um, I think it kind of see there you go. The, superheroes I, I think it just shows it kind of shows your passion right so and we'll dive into what led you to owning your own business and being an entrepreneur we'll, we'll talk about that but my you know i want to kind of start from the beginning was your was your dream as a young kid always to be an entrepreneur and work in the recruiting hr space or did you have other dreams as a kid like what what was the what was the dream job going up okay first off nobody dreams of becoming a recruiter <laughs> let's just Let's just come on, Nick. You know that. Everybody fair, falls fair. into HR. They fall into OD like yourself. They fall into learning and development. They fall into HR. We fall into it. Nope. When I was younger, I wanted to be a uh, uh, like a, a broadcaster, you know, like for the NFL uh, or for uh, in the NBA, you know, because I grew up with Brent Musburger in his prime. You know, and he did the NFL today, and you know, it was just a much different, it's a much different time. Uh, and uh, I knew I wanted to be, I wanted to, I wanted to help people. That's the one thing I always knew because my parents brought me up to teach me that you take care of others. And I'll give you a great example. This is, it, uh, I was probably about eleven or twelve. So I'm, I'm getting to that 
angry teenage years kind of thing. And I remember going to a restaurant. It was just my, my parents and me. I don't know where my brother was, but uh, we're at a restaurant. And this, my father was an attorney and this judge walks in and he introduces me to the judge. Well, my parents always raised me to stand up and look somebody, shake their hand, introduce them, introduce myself to them. I decided that day I didn't feel it. And I was a jerk. And whew, parents didn't, he, you know, my father never got like super angry. He was like, that's never going to happen again. I'm just here to tell you that. My son stands up and respects people and treats people. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, doesn't matter. You represent yourself. And so when you go to introduce yourself, stand up every single time. Whether they go, no, 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 sit down. You know, you stand up every single time you shake. I haven't sat down to shake unless I'm standing up like at a you know a mixer or something like that back in the old days. Uh, but but I have uh, never once ever started to do that. Another story, real quick. My wife was then she was then just my girlfriend. She had visited my hometown. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. And we're walking to go have lunch. My mom and my wife and me, my father. And all of a sudden, we're, we're walking past these guys that are digging ditches. Next thing I hear is, hey, Attorney Goldberg. And, you know, my wife, who, you know, she didn't know my parents. You know, this was the, like kind of the first time, right? And that's the command of respect that my father had, you know, as an attorney in the city of Charleston. He would go to his, to, to help people no matter what. And that's what's been instilled in me. That's the piece of the, the piece of my father that carries with me. He's gone now, but you know, it, it, it's something that I always just remember and it sticks out in my mind that I'm here to help people. And so, yeah. So, you know, when that, when I, when I got this superhero award, I got, I got it back in 2006 and my HR leader had given it to me as a joke. And cause I had done this hard staffing project and she called me the super recruiter. Well, when Twitter finally came up, this is in 2005. In 2006, when Twitter come about, came about, my Twitter handle was Super Recruiter because that's what it says, the Super Recruiter <laughs> Award, right? So, um, you know, after graduating college, I ended up going and working at, um, you know, for Marriott Corporation, but I was doing it for six fifty an hour. I wouldn't like my friends going out and, you know, bringing in back then it was, you know, thirty to 40000 working in major consulting firms. I didn't want to do that. Um, so I went and I worked, you know, from the ground up and worked my way up the Marriott organization. And five and a half years later, I met my wife and, you know, I was no longer, you know, I decided to go get my MBA after that. So that's where the other part of the service comes in. And every company I've worked for, I've always, my team and I have always been known for the service that we deliver back. We, we do what we say we're going to do and we do it when we say we're going to do it. And we try to go, you know, beat it by a day because that's what service is all about. That's what recruiting or HR or really anything we do, it's about helping others and serving others, whether you're in a full-time job by yourself or an entrepreneur. But, you know, fast forward after being a corporate recruiting leader, you know, I went into, I decided I wanted to become an entrepreneur. So no, I didn't become, figure out I wanted to be an entrepreneur until I was uh, 53 years old. So 
and here we are three years later. No, I, I love the I love the story about your father and and on what you learned from him because I think, as 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 you know, you've talked to a lot of guests. You, you learn obviously a lot from your parents, and they instill different values in, in you. So I, I'm I'm thrilled to see you kind of carry those forward, even though your father's no longer with us. I want to talk about the topic of college because it's it's one of those things that I have had a lot of guests. I've had some go to college. I've had some not go to college. Um, they've been successful either way in most cases that I've, that I've, that I've, when I've talked to people, you went to, you went to undergrad and you went and got your MBA. Was it expected that you were going to college growing up as a kid? Was it, was it like, Michael, you're going to, you're going to college after high school? Yes. Always. It was going to be, it was going to be somewhere. It was going to be somewhere. My father really wanted me to go to the Citadel and uh, I did not want to go to the Citadel. And by the way, he dropped out after the first semester. So why are you pushing me to go there? Well, I think you have the right personality to do that. <laughs> okay, dad. Well, you didn't seem to like it, you know, 30, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Why the hell would you send me there? So I ended up picking the Georgia Bulldogs uh, as my alma mater. And, um, you know, I, I, I knew I wanted to go to a, a school. And, I, you know, look, I had a good time in undergrad, didn't we all? You know, I called it Disneyland because it was in Georgia, just like many other, it was just a big party. It was a good, good time. My grades were okay. I didn't get serious about my grades until grad school. Um, and I knew I wanted to go to grad school. The thought was, all right, you can graduate and you can, once you go to law school or go get your MBA right after you graduate, it's like, no, I want work experience. I want work experience. And, um, you know, I, I probably could have utilized the career center a lot better, but didn't. And that's why I ended up making 6.15 an hour after graduation. But I was happy with that. I didn't care. I, it taught me to appreciate that you build your way up. And, you know, there were these managers that were coming in from, like, Michigan State, UNLV, Cornell, which had great hotel management programs. But I was running circles around them. And eventually I was promoted. I, 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 would, I moved up to a supervisor within less than a year and then a manager six months later because I started at the ground level and worked my well up. So one could say I used my full potential to understand the business. And I grasped it. I got to work the 1988 Democratic National Convention. I got to work the 1988 winter baseball meetings. Oh, when, wow. IBM, when IBM Convex was a thing, uh, <clears throat> kind of predates like one of the first major computer conferences out there. Um, we hosted at this hotel. It was the Atlanta Marriott Marquis, right? And I'll never forget this. We walk in. And uh, or the where we are ready for the for we we hosted the press and Jesse Jackson's Rainbow Coalition party at the at the hotel as a part of the convention. Michael Dukakis was running was the Democratic uh, uh, nominee going very strongly against Jesse Jackson, and um, we're all ready. Press walks through the doors. Guess what happens? Our computers crash, crash, which means you have to manually change things. You have to manually let people into the rooms, <clears throat> take their luggage. I mean, people were not happy. They couldn't use the phone because the phone won't turn on unless. So you had to go in and override the system. I think I, were, I was there. I got there at 11 o'clock in the morning and I left at maybe 4.30 and had to be right back at like, I got, I, I was supposed to be there at seven o'clock the next morning. Got I got to reprieve and got to go in at 11. But that's what it took. You had to come up with the contingency plans. You had to Look for different alternatives. So that's a big stressor. But because my manager was so calm, cool, and collect under pressure, I had some of the best managers learning from, 
early on in your career, which you really want. Right. That I always learned that when I became a manager, I was going to be the same way. You know, I didn't work in as large of a hotel, but, you know, you had oversell situations where you had to send guests to other hotels because you're overbooked. Right. That's not a fun thing to tell a parent or tell, no, tell a client when they walk through that. I don't know if you've worked in hotels, but man, it's, it's crazy. But that's where I got my foundational knowledge in helping people. And that's where I really started to soak it in and understand the importance of, you know, delivery. So, so t tell me how you made the pivot because you went to, you went to undergrad in Georgia for psychology. You, you did your MBA um, in human resources management. What made you want to go get an MBA in human resources? Like what was the, what was that, that, that critical event that happened? You were like, ah, this is what I want to go get my MBA. At. It was, that's a good question. It, I'll tell you the answer. It, it's kind of snarky, but uh, basically I didn't feel like going to get a law degree. And this was the next closest thing because I, I, I was very appreciative of HR law. I loved it. I was really entranced by it. It was great. Um, I had a law school professor that taught the class. I mean, but I got to learn different components it, 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 and I learned about compensation. I learned about, this is, I was in school when ADA first came, when Clinton signed ADA into, uh, uh, you know, into, into order or into act or whatever, made it live. Um, so we did, we did papers like that, but HR to me was, so I chance to help people and to grow up through the ranks in a position in helping Employees perform better, hiring managers and managers make better decisions, how they treated employee, made sure that they were treated fairly and equally. Um, and uh, and they, so that was, uh, that's why I chose that. Uh, I wasn't very good at math, most HR people aren't. Um, so I just decided to go off and, and, and go into the HR because it was something I was very, very interested in. And it was an MBA in human resource management and I thought I could Conquer the world once I had it. Little did I know. It no, I mean, I, I think, I mean, it's, I really, I think you bring up a great point for, for my guests. And we have a lot of early career professionals that listen. I, I agree that I, I, you know, there's, there's something to be said about getting some experience before you go back to get your, your MBA, or your master's, because it, you do have, I think, a different perspective um, on getting that degree and that education once you've had some work experience. So I think, I think there's a lot of value in, in what you said there. Yep. So I want to talk about actually working with in HR, right? And, and and I think the interesting thing, Michael, that we talked about is you worked for in for for profit companies, you worked for non profit companies, and now you're an entrepreneur. So you you really had a chance to experience a lot of different types of organizations, which not everyone has that opportunity in their career. So I think that I want to I want to dive into a little bit of that because I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on maybe some of the pros and cons of those experiences. But one of the things that I really want to, I want to talk about is this role that you had in the, for, in the, for the nonprofit, the American Heart Association and the American Stroke Association, because you were the director of talent acquisition there. And I just feel like this job probably not only were you doing HR, but you were also talking about having the opportunity to help people, right? I mean, the whole, the whole organization exists to help people. So I'd love to hear a little bit about, that experience working for your not that nonprofit. Yeah, sure. So, um, so just to back it up a minute. So the first, after I got my MBA, I spent about eight years doing HR generalist work. And then in 2001, I decided to focus only on recruiting and talent and talent development because 
that's I just got tired of listening to people gripe about their you know their boss or their boss griping about their employees. It just it just got old. You know, and people go, oh, here comes HR, right? No, no, they're notching your belt, you know, for terminations and stuff. I don't want to be that guy. I want to bring people into the organization. I want to use my research skills, which I love to use, and helped. Uh, so when I got to, so when I, in 2013, when I left Freeman after seven years, I went to work as the national director of talent acquisition for American Heart. And, um, you know, a lot of people just think, oh, it's just fundraising and, oh, it's just slow. And there's just, there's just bad stereotypes on nonprofits. And it's simply just not the case. It's one of the fastest paced organizations you can work for. Um, it, what was great about it is it made uh, diversity, equity, inclusion very easy because the mission of the company was to meet people where they are and offer equal, you know, equity, you know equitable healthcare throughout all neighborhoods to improve food deserts. Right. So we 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 partner with our community outreach folks and we go and recruit in those, uh, you know, in those areas. And it was great. But the, the one thing that I really was, you know, enjoyed there was I got to get my hands wrapped around branding and lift that up to get the word out about what we were doing. And the company had never experienced anything from that before. It was a very, it was a, it wasn't a centralized recruiting function or centralized HR function for that matter. We sat in HR, but, you know, it was my job to partner with all the different recruiters out in the field. There were 12 of them, plus I had a staff of five people uh, in Dallas at the National Center. Um, but we worked together and nothing was done through it. Nothing was done in a vacuum. It was all done with bringing people in as partners. So not just the recruiters, but bringing in hiring managers and executives and getting their opinions on what needed to be improved on processes, what needed to be improved in terms of uh, whether it be, you know, speed of presenting candidates, presenting candidates that were actually qualified versus candidates that were just being kind of thrown against the wall. Because when I got there, they were just sending, everybody was just sending over resumes and then waiting for feedback to go, well, do you want to talk to that person? I can get it set up. Recruiters weren't doing phone screens. We're, recruiters were not digging in and doing what the real recruiting is. They had no, they, they had career builder. That was it, you know? So you, so you had a big, big opportunity when you got there. But yeah, yeah, it was low hanging fruit. Well, I had the same opportunity, American, or Freeman. I knew exactly what to do. I knew exactly what to do. Uh, but it was just in a different industry. But, right, you know, to your point, yeah, we were helping others improve the quality of their lives through better, uh, through, you know, you know, reduce the amount of heart incidences and, and stroke incidences, right? And I was working with some of the smartest people in the world. From so, all, to, I, I want you to share with the audience, um, because you, know, you, you were there for over three years, you worked in, for the for-profit company Freeman um, for seven years. Was, from a culture perspective, is, is I know every culture of every organization is different, but from a for-profit to a non-profit, what do you think are some of the big the big differences or what makes the non-profit unique from a for-profit company? I think what makes 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 it unique are the people. They're more they're a little more reserved. Where at Freeman, it was more like the old days of hospitality. That's why I was there for seven years. Because it was very much about taking getting things done no matter what. 
Here you are on a tighter budget. You were reserved by your operating budget because you only got 30% of your operating budget given out to finance, recruiting, HR, accounting, marketing, communications, right? The bulk of that money went into research. 70% went into research and science, right? And, and, um, and the other part of that 30% was putting on their the con this conference that they did, scientific sessions, which was the largest Freeman event for quite some time up until, you know, obviously the pandemic, but even then those numbers were starting to dwindle a little bit. So um, you had to, everything had to be done because we were decentralized. Everything really had to be done with consensus. And there's nothing wrong with that. Did it slow the process down a little bit in terms of getting things rolled out? A little bit, but I didn't mind. So you, you adapt. And I think someone that really understands and has the, you know, let's talk about emotional intelligence. You got to have the emotional intelligence to be able to scale back. It's built within my character to either run at 100 miles an hour, 100 miles per hour, or run at 20 miles per hour. I can't do either in real life. But, you know, I can, you know what I'm saying, though, right? Yeah. And so that was the biggest difference. And trying to get things through. But the one thing that American Art did allow me to do was get as creative as I wanted to on the social media posts. And that's really where I kind of began to understand employment branding, talent attraction. And we, we, we were the first company, one of the first companies out there to do uh, Twitter, uh, uh, Twitter slash Periscope live with recruiters and hiring managers where we, every, Wednesday, every first Wednesday of the month, we'd get on and do this broadcast. And uh, with, with our phone and tripod and the whole nine yards, it didn't cost us a dime. But we'd have hiring managers on there. We'd talk about the different groups in there. Because it's not just about fundraising. It's about advocacy. It's about community relations. It's about cultural equity or health equity. Uh, it's about conferences and events. I mean, so it, it had all these different moving components. So the goal is to educate everybody about what it was. And we get hiring managers in. We talk about our processes and how to apply. And we'd answer questions. And we'd go for 30 minutes. And we end up averaging about a million impressions uh, every time. So it was great. Yeah, Nobody awesome. else was doing it. You've been in the video game for, for, uh, for before it was even cool. Um, let, let, I want I want to I want to pivot to your own business. So mm -hmm. you you left you left uh, the American Heart Association to start your own business. I think you mentioned you were in your fifties when you did that. So that was over three years ago. You started so end of twenty sixteen. Tell yeah, us well, about. there's there's so the, uh, 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 here's the here's here's what happened. So. I ended up taking a job. We're not going to spend much time on this, but I ended up taking a job for more money. Biggest mistake of my life. Had to, uh, had to uproot myself. My family stayed here in Dallas, but I had to uproot myself to the Midwest. I had never lived in the Midwest. Midwest is a very different place to live. Um, I call it, you know, I'm sure you've heard the term Minnesota nice and, you know, Indiana nice, which, you know, you can take for that what you want to, but it's not, it's like, it's not like the mass holes of Massachusetts. I'll say that. Um, it's, a, it's on a very different scale. Um, but basically it was a bad decision and I ended up moving back here. And that's when I decided to start my own business three months later. So, um, and I knew I wanted to, my, my expertise was the fix it guy. I was the turnaround guy. That's what I did at American Heart. That's what I did at Freeman. That's what I did before Freeman at Software Spectrum. I was really good at that. Um, but, you know, the hard part was, is you always wanted to do everything to 
you know, you wanted to offer all your skills, all the knowledge that's up here, HR, recruiting, learning and development, OD, change management, I could offer it all. So I really started with this huge net. And of course, that didn't work very well. And it took a little while to, to build up. Uh, and um, basically, in uh, 2018, it, it took, you know, it, it, I finally figured it out where I could be on call and go on these gigs and help companies either start up uh, a recruiting function or help turn one around. And um, and so that was my first big break. The gig went eight months. I thought life was really good. And what did I forget to do? I forgot to market. I forgot to market myself during, uh, even throughout that time, I, I do what every job seeker does when they find a job. You just go, you disappear from LinkedIn, right? And so that was a one fatal mistake that I made. So I really had to work hard. 2019 was an okay year, wasn't, wasn't all that great. Uh, and then we all know what happens last year and I had to pivot because no one was doing recruiting services. And I would do recruiting here and there and stuff like that. Uh, and you know, through referrals and stuff, I would get gigs, but they were very much, you know, one-off recruiting in, in different, different uh, industries. And so basically uh, I was able to, um, pivot last year to focus helping career career job seekers, but I wasn't charging the five to 10,000 that most of these people charge, which I think is absolutely ludicrous to help a job seeker who's going to be unemployed in the coming weeks or is currently unemployed. And you're asking them for $5,000 to help them find a new job. You can't even guarantee them that you can find them a job. So I charged, I charged 500 bucks to start out. It was a hell of a deal. I finally got smart and started raising the rates a little bit, but I never went above fifteen hundred, and it was palatable, palatable to people because I break it up into monthly monthly installments. But the key thing there is I met a lot of great people, and I did I did it at a discount rate because the hope was is that maybe on the back end they'd come to me and say, "Hey, can you come to this and help us fix recruiting, or can you help us find a position?" and um, Look, it's all about the long play in entrepreneurship. So it hadn't happened yet, but I, I have a feeling it will. Businesses, uh, you know, as we were talking before the broadcast, I've got a lot of, I've got a few irons in the fire, you know, more than a handful. Um, that I'm hoping if I can close two or three of those, it'll set me up. The other thing I did smart last year is I actually booked business for this year. So I had a nice book of business coming into this year. Now I just want to make the gravy, right? So I had enough that I know I could live off of. Um, and, you know, pay the rent and pay the bills, keep the lights on, blah, blah, eat. But the way I look at entrepreneurship is this. You've got to give without any kind of exception or expectation of receiving. That's what, that's what entrepreneurship is. It might not happen tomorrow. It may not happen next week. It may not happen the week after or three months from now. Uh, I can tell you, I've been working. I've been working a couple of clients here to try to close some business for the last year and a half, and I'll keep doing it. I'm not going to give up because I know eventually they're going to need me for something. But it's going to come. I don't know when it's going to come. I don't have my crystal ball working yet. I keep trying to plug it in, but it won't plug in. And I just know along the journey, I'm helping people, and by giving out free advice or doing some pro bono work here and there. It's going to come around. And so with entrepreneurship, the people that are making that are entrepreneurs that you see on LinkedIn or you hear on Clubhouse, I don't know if you're on Clubhouse, um, but, 
you know, how to make a million dollars in less than a year. I'm like, there's no way you're making a million dollars in less than a year. There's no way unless you have an iPhone type device or an Android type device or something that people need. Right. Um, and so, the, but the, the other people that are making a lot of money are the entrepreneurs that have started their own business saying, Hey, I can help you drive business to your LinkedIn profile and you'll get leads every day. Okay. I, I bit two years ago. I bit two years ago. She was great, but you know, I haven't built, I did a post the other day. I haven't built a business. I don't, I don't look to LinkedIn to be my revenue generator. I look to LinkedIn to be my network connection and relationship builder. And that's what you have to look at tools such as LinkedIn, uh, you know, clubhouse. I don't know. Again, clubhouse is a new tool. I do a clubhouse chat, um, every Monday through Thursday on a different topic in recruiting and talent. It's called talk talent, which is the name of my LinkedIn live broadcast, uh, at four thirty central time. So, uh, this week we're talking about technology, how to figure out what's the right technology, what to ask. Right? What are some of the best um, AI platforms out there for recruiting? What are some of the best uh, applicant tools out there, recruiting automation tools? So that's what we're going to talk about this week. And it's, it's just a different topic. And again, I'm investing four hours of my time right. to do this. Have I, made, have I made money off of it yet? No. People would look at me and say, you're crazy. And I go, no, I'm not crazy. This is all going to come down. And I'm, you know, I'm knock on wood. I'm hopefully going to have my first employee uh, in the next two to three months. So that's the plan: is to add one to two employees this year. I want yeah, to be you, that busy. You bring up some good, some good points on on being an entrepreneur and how it's so different from working, you know, for a for-profit company or a non-profit company. And I think the thing that, um, as as a previous entrepreneur myself, I, I understand is you're always selling even when you have work you're still selling you're still marketing you're still networking and you know i th i think it, it 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 entrepreneurship is not for everyone i think i think you bring up some really good points because it, you know i think a lot of people it's like oh you own your own business you get to make your own schedule yeah you work all the time that's your schedule right so um it, it's i think there's a lot of people michael that have glamorized entrepreneurship on the internet as this you know amazing journey and it's you know it, it's 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 so easy and, and, and you know with, with the with with social media and everything and and while you know yes social media and the internet have obviously made certain aspects of starting your own business much easier but it doesn't mean it's easy um entrepreneurship will never be easy right no matter what industry you're in right whether you're doing what you're doing with hr or whether you're a plumber or an electrician or a dog groomer. I mean, it's, or an app developer. It, it's all hard. Absolutely. I mean, my wife, she's like, well, when are you going to go get your full-time job? I look at her and I go, I have my full-time job. This is what I want to do. Cause there's a limit on how much you make in a full-time job. And that's not, to me, it's not all about the money, but I'll tell you this, it helps. Okay. We all know that, but what I'm getting out of this is more meaningful relationships by having people like yourself on my show or me being a part of your show, uh, you know, talking to authors and speaking with, uh, you know, people in leadership roles, people that understand and get the value of talent. Right. And to me, so when you, you know, this is the full potential podcast, my full potential at full potential, I am making a difference in people in, in, the, in the individuals that I work, talk to every day. And they're making an impact on me to be better 
than who I was a minute before I talked with them. I know that sounds kind of hokey, but it's true. I mean, I, you know, I just, uh, I, I'm lately, I don't know what it's been, but I've just been very appreciative of who I have in my life now. People like yourself, uh, people like uh, Vitaly Buford, people like uh, Anna Morgan and Joel Lalji and Adam Posner. I mean, these, these, uh, you know, Janiah uh, uh, Bell. You know, it's these are the people that affect my life, you know, on a weekly basis because they've got my back and I've got theirs. And that's what it's all about. That's what entrepreneur is all about is just having each other and being there to support one another. No, I, I, I love that. And I think that's really well said. And I appreciate appreciate the kind words. But I mean, LinkedIn really is a community and I've, I've met some amazing people like yourself there. And so I, I definitely echo that. Um, I want I want to I want to follow up on that because I always close with the same question and I want to hear from your perspective, Michael. What is the one thing that's helped you be successful in your career, right? So, what's the one thing that's helped you reach your full potential throughout the for-profit jobs, the nonprofit jobs, and now you as an entrepreneur? I know you just gave us some advice, but is there something else you want to share with the audience? Patience. Things don't happen overnight. It takes a while to build it up, whether you're an entrepreneur or you're working for a company. I always tell people, look, you need to stay at least, you know, you come on board here, you need to stay at least two years. Year one, by the end of year one, you know where the bathroom is, you know where the cafeteria is, you know the basics, you feel good about it. You understand your job. After hitting some of those speed bumps along the road, you're good. Year two, that's when you kick ass and make and take names. And you really, really, really start impact, making an impact because you're using your full potential. You don't have to worry about what people are saying or what they're thinking because you've gotten a great performance review because you really do care about the company and the passion and the culture of the organization. But you need to have the character trait of patience in order to be successful, whether in a job or as an entrepreneur. I, I think that's such fantastic advice because we're, we're in a, an instant, an age of instant gratification, whether it's you want to watch a show listen to a song, find a date, get a taxi, get an answer on Google, everything's instant. Literally everything's instant. And I think to your point, having patience in your career, whether it's for a company or for yourself, is something that is just, it, it's priceless. So I, I think that's, that's fantastic advice. So I appreciate you sharing that. I, I just wanna thank you again for coming on tonight, Michael. Uh, fantastic sure. discussion. I love, uh, you had a really, I think, unique career path with, with the different, you know, the different paths you've gone on, um, you know, starting, you know, starting with your undergrad, getting your MBA, going into human resources, doing corporate, you know, the, the corporate route, and then the, the nonprofit route, and now, now your own, your own, your own successful business. I wish you the absolute best with what you were doing. Uh, what we'll do, Michael, because I always do this, we'll link to your LinkedIn profile in the show description. We'll also link to the Hiring Transformed website for anyone that wants to get in touch with you. So whether, whether people want to get in touch with you, if they want to hear about your career, um, they want to hear about your business, we'll, we'll make sure people have that opportunity to, uh, to contact you. Yeah, definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. Feel free to reach out, say hello. Um, I'm on Clubhouse. If you need an invite, I've got a few invites I can share. It's only good for iOS users. So you got to have an iPhone or an iPad or a Mac in order to join the join the fray. But actually, it's a it's a it's a new it's the new up and coming place uh, to be. So connect with me wherever you need to connect, and uh, let's see if I can't make a difference in helping you be successful and reach your full potential as well.
Yeah, I love your, your passion for people, Michael. So thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I wish you the best. Uh, stay safe and be well, sir. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Full Potential Podcast. If you'd like to hear more interviews, please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify. You can also connect with us on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And don't forget to check out our website, fullpotentialmovement.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing and be well.